It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you. 
Alegwana Kofi Wari Awo Unlo Uto Ni Iwo Ada Afanbo O Si O Batala Mi Ita Ni Ibo Onilio Abani Shu Eshu is the respected elder who flaws, confronts, and uncovers fools that one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to feed poverty. O Batala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu, Aboru, Aboye, Aboshishe, Ashe. May I ever reach a rune? May I ever be accepted? May I ever allow what we desire to come to pass? And so we say, Ashe. Divine, all blessed peace and love, joy and prosperity, elevation, revelations, and manifestation. You are now listening live to the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye Hudu Obeya Bokor, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. It is indeed my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and it is my ever-living reality. It's crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my being, my walk, my work along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, the divine prince, make sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Father Earth. And it is my personal place of power and understanding, that place from where I begin that place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality. And so it is. Ashe. Ashe, oh, Ashe. I indeed welcome you this Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally from this working temple of the house of the Divine Prince, Thai Potions, Hoodoo Central LLC, in this legendary, beautiful, historic, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors. And those who came before me 
along this hoodoo obeya life path and journey. And indeed, I'm always humbled and honored before the ancestors and the passing down into a great obeya stick along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, minerals. Indeed, the history, the legacy, and as my beloved Denise Augustine would say, our sacred story. Please, for your tour plus experience, we're offering you more than just a tour. We're offering you more than just a walk through history. We're offering more than just a look at our community. We're offering you tours plus an experience. And you can visit us at www.OurSacredStories.com. O-U-R, OurSacredStories.com. All is truly and indeed a blessing. You can also visit my website 24 hours a day, seven days a week at www.houseofthedivineprince.com, D-I-V-I-N-E-P-R-I-N-C-E, houseofthedivineprince.com. My website is divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. All is truly and indeed a blessing. Reminding you that the creation of sacred space is critical to all that we do, all that we say that we are, all that we be, and ultimately our demonstration here on this life path, this life journey that we are all on. For indeed, we are spirit having a physical experience in this plastic, ever-changing world of atoms and molecules and, and energy on our journey back to light, on our journey back to God and goddess consciousness and understanding. I want to remind you that my phone lines are open at area code 845-277-9143, 845-277-9143. When you're ready with your question, comment, or request, do press the number one on your telephone keypad. I will call out your area code probably three times. Area code 804, I see your hands raised. I'll be with you momentarily. Please just Give me a moment, okay? All is a blessing at 845-277-9143, 845-277-9143. My spirit is full today, for indeed it's a lot that I want to say, it's a lot that I want to share, and of course I do want to take the opportunity to greet and acknowledge each and every one of you in peace and, and prosperity, joy, and love uh, individually, collectively, within this space. But I would like to also offer you an opportunity to participate either right here on the show, if you got your webcam together and you got your audio or your mic together, I welcome you to come on in. I certainly appreciate you. Uh, and, of course, you can call me at 845-277-9143. 
before this train gets ahead of me, I want to say, in terms of a topic, um, the show uh, name is Atlas of Sacred Spaces. Atlas of Sacred Spaces. And many of you already know that a new series, TV series, will be debuting, will be premiering tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on Nat Geo. I believe it's also airing on Nat Geo UK at at three separate dates and times, and it's also airing on Nat Geo Asia. I'm often reminded and humbled and grateful by the reach of this show, um, and particularly Block Talk Radio and its international global reach. Um, people share with us, people view us, people listen to us um, in languages that I can't even speak, um, and, and I'm humbled by it. I'm grateful for it. So I'm thankful for Nat Geo being available in the UK, being available in Asia, being available in other parts of the world where you can view Atlas of Cursed Places. Atlas of Cursed Places. And so today, indeed today, uh, some of you were here earlier. I know Tasha was here pre-show, as she often is. Um, I showed a 1966 movie clip from a trilogy of fear and it opens up with you know the young woman receiving a a package a gift I believe or something she intends to gift to someone um and it's a a Zunai voodoo doll and so it opens up a conversation about or or even a question and a conversation The, the conversation might be in the question do you do you want to see more documentaries, more truth, more histories, more facts about ATR, traditional African-based religious systems and practices? Lukumi, Santeria, Paolo, Kandable, Maria Leonza, Voodoo, Hoodoo, Root Work, Conjure. Or do you want to see more thriller? more horror, more entertainment. Now, you already know, I'm a sad card-carrying actor, performer, cultural performer. Indeed, I give a great deal of respect to uh, the idea of creative license, the idea of art, the idea of telling one story, telling a story, telling diverse stories, if you will, in the artistry that is film, in the artistry that is video, in the artistry that is visual um, um, performance art, in, in the artistry that is, is, is painting, in the artistry that is photography. And so I, I want to offer that question before I go to my phone lines, before I continue to acknowledge my chat. What is it that you desire? What is it that you seek as a witch, as a healer, as a practitioner, as someone who is on a spiritual, mystical reality of a journey that is based in the foundation of ATR. I am speaking primarily to ATR, 
but the question is open up globally, internationally, from various perspectives and, and points of view. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Matthew Ferguson. Um, you spotted me in Denise Alvarado's book. <laughs> now, my question is, tell me what page. Tell me what page of, of, of Marie Laveau, Denise Alvarado's book. I might offer you a prize. Tell me what page. <laughs> All is a blessing. So do we want to see? How do we wish to be uh, presented in the world? I, I remember movies like Skeleton Key. I remember movies like Candyman. I remember movies like um, The Serpent and the Rainbow. And we have many historians and practitioners who have many thoughts and com comments and, and criticisms about how these movies demonstrate us as black people, as African people, as Caribbean people, as people of color, our reality, if you will, our, our truth. And we see, you know, both sides of the argument, people who, you know, love to be entertained, who love you know, horror movies. I indeed am a fan of horror movies. If I'm given a choice of genres, you know, for entertainment, uh, outside of documentaries, outside of the news, um, outside of reality and reality TV, I'm going to go to horror. Um, I like horror. I like all of the mystical, spiritual, magical um, implications of, of horror, literally and figuratively. Those things that are being implied directly, those things that might be cloaked in color and, and symbolism and performance. So, indeed, I enjoy the dynamics of, of horror uh, from a spiritual, religious, ethno-cultural perspective. When we look at how our story continues to be told um, in the public format, I also look at what it is that we support. Thank you, Imani Sakofa. Um, Lunatech, I'm not quite sure I get your question, but so I'm going to come back to you. I look at what it is that we support. What do we put our money behind? Where do we put our energy behind? So, so, so there are those things that we, we go out and buy the tickets to the movies to see. We support, you know, our cable supplier, you know, so that we can see certain programming. And, of course, there's always, you know, marketing and, and product and, and retail that further give these dramatic um, entertainment productions value. But then there's also the likability factor. You know, what it is that we click like on, what it is that we like to discuss in, in Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, what's the, uh, the, the series? Um, somebody help me out. Country Love? What is it? <laughs> Forgive me because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure on the title. Uh, help me out, uh, Imani Sankofa. Everybody's, you know, really into it right now. And, and so, um, again, I ask, how is it that we wish voodoo 
and root work and conjure to be demonstrated? Are we open as a community? Are we open individually to entertainment as much as we are open? Lovecraft Country. Thank you, NGRA. You know, it's all the rage. I haven't seen it. I haven't had time, uh, but but I see it in social media. Uh, so what is it that we really want to see? I see 804. Please forgive me. I'm coming. I'll come to you momentarily. Um, I see us supporting with our like, the likability factor, with, with our verbal and our uh, word of mouth support, and, and indeed with our monetary support when these productions um are mainstream at the movie theater, on television, uh, at some point in the in the food chain of economics. Uh, but then I hear and watch and observe quietly, without judgment, our commentary on these various productions, our attitude about these various productions. And indeed, we do see, you know, where's our truth, where's our story, but when our truth is being told, I'm not often seeing us support it. Uh, and I'm sure that the vegans and the vegetarians probably say the same thing about fast food, you know, and then commercial uh, uh, food, uh, big box food uh, outlets. You know, we gravitate to that which is in line with who we are, what we know and what we understand, but also where we might be going. So I'm going to go to the phone lines, um, 804, I'm coming to you. And then I want to share some brief clips, and I want to talk further about this topic of do we indeed want to see more entertainment, or do you think we need more information-based entertainment as it relates to how these um, practices continue to to stay alive and evolve into 2021. Area code 804. <clears throat> Who's calling and where are you calling from? Um, hello, good afternoon. Um, my name is Rennell, so the V like in Virginia, and I'm calling from Virginia. And I talked to you many months ago. Um, I think it was... Um, back in March or April after I had um, lost my boyfriend to cancer. And so I don't know if you remember me. I um, remember. If not, I, I remember you. I remember your voice. Okay. <laughs> and peace, peace and serenity, beloved. How are you today? Um, I'm, I'm fine. I'm taking one day at a time. Um, and I've been meaning to talk to you, but off and on, I, you know, I, it just seems like my, my mind just goes elsewhere. And I'm not really on blog talk radio all the time, but just off and on. But um, um, about about my boyfriend, um, you know, he he had a, a three-wheel mobility scooter, and um, he he wanted me to have it. We, we, we discussed it before he had passed on. And... Um, and his brother, um, I believe we discussed his brother. Me and you discussed his brother and how weird his brother is. So um, I told his brother, and he did not 
you know, take my word for it and sold it to someone else. And um, I've been wanting the scooter still, you know, ever since. And I was thinking, well, if I move, um, which I've been really considering doing, if I move, I, I hope to take that scooter with me. And um, so, okay, um, beloved, I, beloved, hold on. We're live uh-huh. on air. We're live on camera and we're live on radio right now. And so uh, I'm not quite sure where you're going with this, but this sounds really personal. And you need to contact me off air. Send me an email request. I'll be more than happy to assist you with your request. Okay. But I thank you for returning and supporting the show, okay? Okay. And be at peace. Be at peace. We're with you in your bereavement. Okay. I appreciate that. All is a blessing. And I really want to give her more personal attention, um, but I really want to talk about this topic. Um, and Electro Vibes, I see you, a combination of both. It's the steak and sizzle theory. We get lost in the sizzle. And forget about the steak. Um, I, I see uh, someone else said uh, both. Oh, you! I think it was you, but we are afraid of what we don't understand. And as a performer, but also someone who has greetings, um, Chef Bougie. Um, greetings, Arisha. Is she here? Yes. We definitely want to keep uh, our call in the prayers. That's that's some heavy, heavy stuff, heavy energy. How do we better, as a performer, but also someone who has the ability to influence um, some of what's being presented to you, some of what's, you know, uh, coming out uh, in the months that still yet lie ahead? How do we better address that stake and sizzle issue? From this side of, of the camera, from this side of the performance, uh, I continue to see um, a desire for what's fanciful and what's magical. Uh, I think about movies like Black Panther, for instance, which is entirely fictional. I understand the love and the sentiment and the emotion that we attach to, to the movie. But it's entirely fictional, almost like a superhero uh, movie, a superhero comic book. But when we are presented with more information-based documentaries, productions, theater, we don't see the same enthusiasm. From the community We don't see the same Enthusiasm from even the uh, So-called Fan base Who say that they support Voodoo, hoodoo Conjure Root work So so if you will bear with me I want to share some short clips Like two two minutes Three minutes long Uh, Some of them you all are already Well familiar with Um Electrovise, we're going to address that, writers and producers. We're going to address that next. 
I want you first to um, look at this clip. Uh, okay, this is for Spell. Some of you have already seen the movie. I have not seen the movie, but I've heard the commentary about the movie. Forgive me, y'all. I hit the wrong button. Um, now, Electro Vibes, uh, there you go right there. You have an immediate example of clearly black writers, black producers being involved in, in some of these productions. We know that uh, Jordan Peele and, and many others are strongly pushing forward, you know, more black, quote-unquote black, horror movies. Now, being a performer who also um, 
have a sort of an intimate connection on on the production side of of some some productions. Um, I do know there's again that component of money, so you can have the the black writer, you can have the black producer, you can have the black creative idea, but if there's no funding available, there's no way to sort of move these projects forward that you know maybe you might prefer to see. And and listen, I don't expect people to agree with me. I would like to hear some some debate. I would like to hear uh, various viewpoints on this subject matter um, for, from others who are both listening on Blog Talk Radio at um, my call-in number, 845-277-9143, and also those who might be here uh, with me uh, on StreamYard. Uh, I'll be to the phone lines momentarily. I see you. Greetings, Mom. Peace and blessings. Uh, that might be a lecho vibe. Let me check my phone line. I believe you're using Skype because there's no phone number. All I got is a series of number ones. <laughs> so your phone line is open, caller. Your phone line is open. Who's calling and where oh, are you calling? Oh, okay. From? You can hear me? You can hear who's, me? Who's calling and where are you calling from? I'm Maya. I'm calling from California. Greetings, beloved. Yeah. I just happened to come across this, in, in, which is interesting because I'm actually watching uh, horror right now. Um, it's something I do a lot. Um, I, I think this is a great topic, and it, I'm going to be real curious to see where it goes because everything you're saying I felt has been true for a long time. I majored in uh, horror and religion at UCSB, okay? I created my own uh, major, and it was approved because I wanted to explore the relationship between religion and horror in film and literature. Um, I, I think we have a real problem because everyone is thinking that they're paying a lot of attention to black folk by putting in these new movies. Uh, black Panther is a great example. Uh, people were getting excited about Black Panther, but it was like no one seemed to remember that Wesley Snipes played Blade long before Black Panther came on the scene mm -hmm. um, and did a, a good job, a, a great job of it, so much so that uh, Hollywood was willing to pay for the sequel. Um, so now it seems like in this woke generation, everybody's talking about wanting to have their place, um, uh, in Hollywood, but in order to find your place, you've got to help create the space for it. Um, now I've been, you know, in and out of, uh, films, writing, script reading, and just for the record, in case you people don't recognize it, I've been black for about 64 years, okay? Um, the reality is um, if you go over to Amazon, if you go over to Vudu, uh, Netflix, and the other ones, mm -hmm. you, will notice, you will notice that when they talk about Asian Americans, they, when they talk about Asians, they call it Asian films. When they talk about Hispanics, they call it uh, Hispanic Latinos, okay? Do you know what, how they refer to us, to our films? 
They refer to us as black voices and black stories. We don't even have the honor of having a real title about who we are and what we bring to the film industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was like it was almost like they didn't know what else to write. Mm-hmm. They could have written African American. They could have written uh, the Disparia. They could have written a number of things. But no, what they did was they turned around and labeled us the same labels that they have been giving to us, okay, since the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know who we are. Okay, now, they me, really now, don't. Now, let me ask the question, please, beloved uh, Maya. Uh-huh. And also want to mm-hmm. respond to Chandra C. in the chat, who who, who always helps me out on, on, on my fact-checking. Um, and indeed, mm-hmm. she has, you know, has suggested that we're still talking about white writers, white creators being involved mm-hmm. in the process. Now, you suggested that you have a SAG card and, and you're involved in the industry to some degree, just as I am. Uh, from your perspective, mm-hmm. I want you to share how much control do you believe we really have access to? How much influence Honest. do you mm-hmm. believe we really have access to? I'll give you an example. Uh, we're talking. You were talking about Peel, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I totally hated the first season of Twilight Zone. I I didn't I didn't care for it at all. The whole first season, and I'm still weighing in on the second. The reason why is because the first season was so clearly uh, motivated by and driven by what the the producers were were considering to be good horror or good storytelling. They were excited about the name because Peel had did the other two movies. Okay, but at the end of the day, even Peel knew he had to he had to write not to uh, black audiences or even white audiences. He had to write to Hollywood. Okay, so in a lot of ways, he is still uh, trying to find his place and trying to create a space that he can do what he wants to do. Uh, so I don't know if that answers it or not, but it I would does. say that there is. It, it does. I I'm think sorry. sometimes people believe that, um, you know, our, our face is there, our presence is there. Um, sometimes we are indeed involved behind the camera. And so they assume um, that we have a greater degree of influence there, and particularly as individuals. And when we don't have that, you know, when we don't have our own um, um, union, for instance, for your performance, mm-hmm. for your background, for your for your creative um, uh, community that's pulled from to create these projects, then that individual who might be a, a director or a writer or an actor or performer still does not have enough power to sort of push things forward in a way that might appease the community to some degree. And am I wrong? Absolutely. In my premise that um, we don't support truth-based, fact-based, historic-based, reality-based, how many times do we hear, I don't want to see one more slave movie? 
how many times I, do we I've got to be totally, uh, I have to be totally honest with you, I, uh, okay? I personally am tired of them myself, and I'll tell you why. Because they always create the same characters for the same roles, okay? How many, how many blacks, not just whites, how many blacks recognize just how much power we had, okay, during, uh, after the 40s and 50s, we had reconstruction. We had businesses. We ran businesses. We owned businesses. We lived in the cities. Yeah, there was craziness going on outside the community, all right? Mm-hmm. But we thrived as a community for a lot of years, okay? But you don't see that because Hollywood only wants to see the story of uh, how <laughs> the black man was in, in chains and, and then he met a, a white guy who turned around and said, I'll save you. You don't have to love me, but blah, blah. And then he, come on, people. Okay, We've so done Mike, this Mike, before. Mike. Okay, so Maya, hold up. Let's go back to your narrative uh-huh. about, you know, we were doing good in the 40s and the 50s. Now let's mm-hmm. translate that into cinema, TV, Pop cultural representation. Let's look at the sixties and let's look at the seventies. Now, now we the sixties and the seventies were. We got the sixties and seventies were far on, more hold, interesting. Hold on, hold on. Oh, I'm there's sorry. There's a there's a trail. Sorry. Hold on. Okay. Uh-huh. First, okay. So we got Jet Magazine. We got Ebony mm-hmm. and Ebony Fashion Fair, which which one of my cousins. Tunis Wilson was was one of the first black male models, and and that mm-hmm. traveling Ebony Fashion Fair brought more mm-hmm. representation of us to the community. Mm-hmm. But we also have to look mm-hmm. at black black exploitation. Now, I personally have mixed feelings about black exploitation. I think those mm-hmm. movies were mm-hmm. necessary. Those movies were important. Those movies fulfilled a particular need that we had mm-hmm. at, at the community level, at the grassroots level at that time, uh, in, in a mm-hmm. vacuum where, you know, we otherwise would not have been represented or would have been limited in our representation, particularly when it comes to horror movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you really think about that period of time, and, yeah, it was – you know, sex black. It was uh, black exploitation. I one of my favorite movies historically uh, is Blackula. Okay, I, I think that considering the time and place that that movie was put out there, I I I think that movie's going to follow. That's a cult favorite on a lot of levels. But let's also keep in mind that while they were doing all of this, the civil rights movement was swelling up again. Uh, people were uh, people were starting to ask questions. Where, uh, what is her name? Uh, Diane Carroll, Julia, uh, I guess it was Sydney Poitier. Um, oh God, there were so many people. But they, it, it, in a lot of ways, it seemed like they had a better finger on who we were then than they do now. Uh, I, and I'm not saying that it wasn't exaggerated. I'm I'm uh, I'm not saying that the 60s and 70s was propaganda and it painted us negatively but I'm also, but I am saying that in a lot of ways they did put films out there that mm-hmm. made uh that told a story that was closer to what we could relate to than what you're seeing now. Mhm. Mhm. 
And I think when, when we do look at the propaganda, quote unquote propaganda element, we still go back to funding. Sandra right. C. And I think we still see quote unquote black movies in the 60s and the 70s, 70s being made sort of directed at us, but through, still through the prism of mm-hmm. white funders and white funding and, and the people all, mm-hmm. ultimately who are going to bring the money. Um, mm-hmm. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of money to make one minute of a commercial, one minute of a movie. And I think sometimes at the community level, we don't consider all that goes into bringing, you know, a, a cinema, a target, you know, production. You start um, talking about $300,000 to do 30-second commercials, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money, 300000 for a 30-second commercial. We don't even want to discuss the Super Bowl, all right? But the difference between uh, – another big difference between black movies of the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s is that – and you put the nail right on the head. You just said it – was that – in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, when they made those movies, including horror, they were making it for the black person. Mm-hmm. Okay, that it that was, that came about at a time when, and we talk about this in, in 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 sociology all the time. It was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that all of a sudden, white businessmen recognized that blacks uh, had bad teeth, needed deodorant needed to have their hair done, needed to wear dress better. They didn't care about it before. They made all of their products for a larger white group, okay? And then all of a sudden they started going, wait a minute, they're buying deodorant. They're buying hairspray. They're combing their hair. Next thing you know, all these businesses turned around and started making stuff for us, okay? And that's, that's why that happened. That's where those movies came in. Um, and then, even as cheesy as they were. I just want to add to that because I agree with you 100%. There's also that element of minority, that mm-hmm. word minority. So so on a bigger mm-hmm. scale, it's too easy for them to say for its commercial value, you know, we have to look at the, the bigger picture. You're, you're just 12% of the population. You know, we, we have Hello. to look at, mm-hmm. you know, marketable to more than just you, more than just your community. How much of a role, um, Sandra C., um, do you think that that also plays in in moving these ideals forward? Um, I have to read and respond to your chat. I wish you were on the phone with us or on on screen, but Maya's holding it down. <laughs> she has a co-host. And I'm I saw sorry it. about that. I just... Don't apologize. I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, so I'm just glad you're there. I, I appreciate you. Um, uh, I, I just appreciate your helping me to, to sort of hold the show together uh, uh, audio, audibly so that people can hear uh, more than just me. Um, Sandra C. is making some really great points um, uh, in the chat. I, I just wish we could hear her. Um uh, she says she's produced films and raised money for films and worked at production companies. Well, Sandra Season, we need to talk. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'm doing um, some work right now, both you and, and Maya. Maybe this is the moment coming together. Um, I'm working with a, a, a world-renowned 
black filmmaking family, uh, the Horn Brothers, out of out of Georgia, mm-hmm. Georgia. Um, they were once featured long time ago, back in the day, I believe, on Oprah Winfrey. Um, they've gone on to do reality TV and documentaries and, mm-hmm. and other stuff. Um, and so they're often, you know, the names you see down at the bottom of the screen, but you don't see them a whole lot, mm-hmm. you know, out out in front of the camera. Um, and so we, we're mm-hmm. working on some things. I don't want to put it all out there, <laughs> uh, but we're working on some things. Um, and one of the issues right now is funding. And, and getting funding that's going to allow us sort of the creative space that we need to produce the type of production that would, you know, be more appeasing uh, to us and to our our community. Um, Sandra C. says, this is the world we live in. It will always be stacked against us, which is why Issa Rae, did what she did all through YouTube. Now, she's mentioned mm-hmm. YouTube, she's mentioned Netflix. Um, so are we talking right. about, you know, more independent productions? And again, from my experience, um, they're not necessarily working with the same budget um, as some of the uh, bigger box uh, productions. Sandra Steve says we have to take back control of our narratives regardless of the obstacles and, and get creative. Um, Electrovide. That's where I'm at. I think that's right. I think that's very good. I, I, I think at the end of the day, not just you or me or the people listening, at the end of the day, the, the black artist in Hollywood is going to have to make a decision because this is wonderful conversation to have over cocktails. But the truth of the matter is every time I see Oprah, I want to hit something. Okay. Don't tell me that Oprah don't have enough, doesn't have enough money that she could have created. All right. Exactly what we're talking about today. Okay. She has the own network. She's putting on programs that, for the most part, she's putting on programs. In my opinion, and I know I'm going to get some flack on this, but I don't watch own. Because the program she's putting on own reminds me of the 60s and 70s film, uh, TV shows that were doing exactly what we're talking about now. Okay? I don't need to see another black soap opera. Okay? Me, I don't care on. who Tyler Perry is. Now, now, but, hold on. You know. hold on. now, hold on. Let me get my mm-hmm. disclaimer. The comments and views of callers, such as Myers, are, <laughs> <laughs> are not so strong. <laughs> The or any of it. Uh, um, yeah. I do get, get a check every now and then. I do get a check, and I'm grateful for Oprah. Um, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for um, for um, we Queen love you, Sugar. Oprah. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for Queen Sugar. I do want to work again. So, you know. People are tired of their opinion, Oprah. It's not, it's not me. It's not me. Okay. No, it's not him. I'm not it's me. Disagreement. I'm just saying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> just, just, just set up your little curses in front of my door. Um, I can take it. I can take it. But, <laughs> but, but, but I'm serious. It's really, it's sad because when Oprah first talked about, 
about bringing our own own studio, I said, this is going to be great. She's going to bring out Maya Angelou. She's going to bring out Odette. She's going to bring out all of these wonderful people who represent and reflect okay, right, the lineage, the history. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Greetings. I'm quiet now. You okay. Greetings, Greetings. Sandra. Thank you so much, beloved, for calling in. You always have so much oh, to say. Yeah. I'm Thank so honored you. you had the chance to call in today. Awesome. Yes, greetings, greetings. Yeah, I'm going to be Don't quiet me. now. I, I like I said, I've got an attitude on this, so. <laughs> Go ahead, Sean. So, um, oh yeah. So what I was saying is just that, you know, we have always had, um, you know, from the beginning of our time in this country, things stacked against us, and having to figure out different ways to go about you know, making our lives prosperous, even how we even got into the Hollywood industry in the first place. Like, that's why I, you see a lot of the young people thriving now, especially these millennials, because they they actually have that thinking. You know, you have to think about they came out during a time where everything was crumbling, everything, like they went to college, mm-hmm. they didn't have any jobs. So they're mm-hmm. forward thinking, like they're creating things that didn't exist. Like, so no one knew that Issa Rae would become Issa Rae from doing YouTube, and now she's on mm-hmm. HBO, and I'm sure, and then she's and she's having so many movie projects. She's deciding so many things. She's sitting and making decisions, and believe it, she's deciding how her narrative is being told. There you go. And mm-hmm. she is making lots of money. She is worth a lot of money now. So I feel mm-hmm. like, and even wow. Ava DuVernay, first black woman who won the director at Sundance. She could not get financing. If you look at her story, she could not get financing anywhere. She created a firm so that she could finance the movies. And then the guys who created, mm-hmm. um, like, Baggage Claim, or I forgot his name. I don't know if it was Will Packer or somebody uh-huh. else. Uh, he was yeah. talking about how he got into the film industry and how he had to do the same thing, self-financing until you mm-hmm. get big enough and make a loud enough noise. And now they're going to be giving Will Packer money <laughs> Look at all the products he's doing. You know, like I think he even got some stuff coming on TV um, soon. So, and even look at Tyler Perry. Even though you know, I'm gonna, well, okay. I'm gonna uh, <laughs> hold hold hold. Hey, what I you're think not gonna that, do but, a disclaimer for still, her. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say you know, what I think I'm about Tyler Perry, but, but I'm gonna say that <laughs> he did the same way. Now is a billionaire, and I know there's other things going on behind the scenes that we don't know. But just saying mm-hmm. on the very fundamental level, all self financed when they began. And that's the thing, if you if, if whether you like Tyler Perry or not, he is telling his perspective. You know, he's telling his go. narrative. And I think that we get caught up in the obstacles and mm-hmm. not in the creation. Like like think about ATRs. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the people that I think is a mentor when I first started out in ATRs um, told me that as a black person in this world, you will have to conjure everything that you want. And I feel like mm-hmm. you can't, you got to bring that to film. And I, you know, I, I bring up his house because it's, I don't think it's the best film, but I think that as far as, you know, I'm not, I don't support slave movies. I don't support civil rights movies. Cause I feel like they're mm-hmm. trauma triggers and they're just reactivate traumas in the old story that, um, that they mm-hmm. want to be reactivated. But, 
mm-hmm. what I do support is any movie I feel like is telling a different story or, or even a more accurate story, as in balance. I think the world's balanced. You're going to always have second and diving. You, you know, you're going to always have the topsy. You're going to always have, you know, different things. But what we're missing in the, you know, and ATR is about harmony and balance. So what we're missing is the accurate stories, is the, the positive mm-hmm. stories, is the stories It's about mm-hmm. love. Like back in the day when the woman made love jokes, in the 90s, you had a lot of these movies coming out that were just about black people's lives. And they weren't mm-hmm. these different tropes. They weren't, you know, um, and they made money. And I do think that so, look at so, what Netflix is doing. So hold, hold, hold on, hold on, because yeah. I, I want to respond. I also want you to continue. Okay. And I want to give um, a new caller an opportunity. Except again, okay. this caller is on um, Skype, so I don't have your area code, but your line is open. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Caller. I have no way to identify you because you're using Skype or something. Are you sure you're not looking at my? Are you looking at my call? Um, this isn't Maya. This isn't Sean. Oh yeah, this is Maya. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm asking the third. There's a new person who hasn't spoken yet. Your mic mm-hmm. is open, and you have your hand raised. You press the number one. Caller, caller, are you with me? Okay, we will continue. <laughs> I tried to bring you in. Um, but what I wanted to, my response, Sandra, was, um, you know, you pointed at, at Love, Love Jones. Is that the third caller? Hello? Jesus Christ, just shut your fucking mouth. Hello? You fucking nigger, fuck. Hello? Oh, oh. That was good. Okay, we're going to try area code 937. Area code 937. Yes, me, Electro Vibes. This is who? This is Electro Vibes. How you doing? Greetings, beloved. Welcome. Yeah, I heard that guy before me, man. I heard that. That was crazy, wasn't it? I was like, I hope they don't think that's me. I'm like, that's not me. Yeah, that was good. I don't laugh often, y'all. I'm often very, very serious. That was very good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but go ahead, brother. Yeah. Give us your opinion. Let your vibe. Man, I would piggyback off what both of those ladies were saying that we have to have a control of the narrative because too many times you see flashes and bits and pieces of it, but not the <laughs> complete picture. You often have to take a piece from one production a piece from another production, connect that with a piece of another production to get a certain concept. You know what I mean? And I think that uh if we had more people who were under you know, under who who understood the the familiarity of it, they would be able to put it together in a package that we can get it all in one particular production. Yeah. That's that's and, and I also think that we need to 
I, I think we also need to recognize that it's not going to happen that way. I think that the other woman was absolutely right. This is going to, this is never going to be anything more than an uphill battle because the reality is even within the white groups that are writing and trying to get into the business, they've got an uphill battle. Okay. Uh, But ours is always going to be different because they will always try to put us in a package. Okay. And I actually had someone who had the gall to say to me once uh, that the reason why we're being, we're getting this is not because of Hollywood, but they blame it on um, who was the Alex Haley. Hmm. They, they blamed it on Alex Haley because of that book and how it turned out not to be uh, his story. It was actually a combination of stories that created uh, Roots. And number one, I don't believe that that's true for lots of – I know that – I believe that he did that. I mean it was since proven that he did that. But I don't believe that that is the reason why we're being treated this way. Okay, racism is about color, and it's not even racism anymore. It's racial. It's racialism because they look at who we are, and they arrive at a conclusion, and they operate on that, and they try to continually sell us like that. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, that could be, you know. But that could, you know, that, you know, for me, I, um, I, I won't go too into it, but I follow what Dr. Marimba a lot of her work, and I feel like that's the reason. If you're familiar with Dr. Dr. Marimba and her work, I think that is the reason what is going on in the world. But I do feel like oh what no tell me I don't it, know no tell me. Well, I don't want to get into I don't want to derail. What we're oh talking no! About today. But <laughs> I, and I like people to look at Where I like before be? I talk about things I like people to to be familiar with it. I don't like to tell people what it is. I like for people okay, to what's the name? Um, experience it. Dr. Um, Marimba, A M, I mean M A R I M B A, and you can okay. Google her on YouTube, and she has videos out, and she has a book out, um, and you can read it and, and see what you think. <laughs> but I okay, do feel no, like, um, yeah, Dr. Marimba, um, Divine Chief Divine Prince, put it in the chat. What's so the name I of the book? Like that will exp- uh, the book is called Urugu. Y U R U. So, GU, I think. Yeah, GU. Yeah, and um, I think that would that is kind of from an African perspective, an African psychology mm. perspective, and it explains mm-hmm. wh- why our world ex- works the way it works. <laughs> and I do feel like mm. um, that will go on and continue. But then th- that's why I think a lot of us are coming back to ATR practices, so that we can mm. level that playing field. And what I was going to say mm-hmm. about Issa Rae is insecure is, you know, that's one type of story. But the reason why it was so successful is because a lot of – it was different. It's a different story. It's not the same story. And so there's a place for that. And she came to the table with millions of followers already. So she had something to offer. So I feel like mm-hmm. like kind of like we can't get stuck in the – and I don't believe in the love and light and the positive – but I do feel like – you you know like a lot of what Ifa is about the solution. It's not about the problem. It's not about what's yeah, impossible. It's right. about what is possible. Mm-hmm. And 
Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Ifa always says it doesn't promise that anything will be easy. It promises it will be possible. So it's kind of like That's I right. cannot follow an, an entire religion and tradition if I don't believe that things are possible. But mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's up to me to create and like with if you have the, like, you know, Ogun creates, cuts through. So you have to cut through and create what does not exist. And then you see all the people that I use as examples is because they created what did not exist before. And what we're yes. stuck, the people who are stuck is just keep looking back. You know, one and yes. one of the, I, I'm, I am very new in a baby in tradition, and I have I am mm-hmm. studying one of the odus, and it, it's the reverse head odu, and it's about mm-hmm. you cannot keep looking back, you cannot go forward, mm-hmm. you cannot have your destiny when you are stuck looking back. That's you have right. to look forward, and you have to create what has not been created, mm-hmm. and we don't know, we don't, yeah, we don't know, we don't know, but it will mm-hmm. be created. And then we will go on and we will do this. Because I was going to say with Netflix, look what happened in the last year of Netflix rewatching. And it started with Bird Box. Black people, for some reason, watched Bird Box like nothing, like crazy. And it became became the top movie of all time. Sandra Bullock had but, spent a lot of years talking about the fact that she felt like but, she should have been able to play against a black person. But but yeah, but not even just that. I'm talking about I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about mm-hmm. Netflix and the success. So let me get there. Bird Box was the number one stream until Gamb- the Queen's Gambit. It is the one number one stream movie of all. That happened because of black people, and one of the reasons. Is not, I'm not talking about Sandra Bullock because black people don't relate to Sandra Bullock. But one of the reasons was Little Little Rail is a black comedian that a lot of people like in that movie. He did a lot of marketing from his page too to mm-hmm. make this happen, and then it then it caught on as a trend, and people started to look at it. And from that success, if you watch Netflix right after that, they started like crazy doing black programming. They started buying up a lot of black movies, creating a lot of original black content because they saw a cash cow that no one else in in Hollywood or anywhere is is tapping into. They created they created um, strong black lead now. They created a whole Instagram account for black people. They went and just recently bought up all the rights to all the '90s sitcoms. So yeah, see, I only is, believe that's partially true. I think that's partially true. I think that by the time Monique got in and started complaining, Monique yeah. got into the picture and said, yeah. I mean, that, uh, "Where's my money?" Too, but it, but I'm I'm talking I'm not talking about conjecture. I'm not talking about I'm talking about numbers. Yeah. If you go back, and, these are these are things that that you can measure, not opinions. These are numbers. If you go to the numbers, regardless mm-hmm. of Monique settlement, whatever, these numbers are there of what. The, the people who were watching and now and, and their increased buying of things. It's not just a marketing because they don't really care. In the end, marketing is PR. They are release some kind of apology statement. That will never make a company who cares about money at the end of the day go and buy up a whole bunch of black content just because of they want to look good. See, I don't believe that's true. I think they, they will do that. I think that marketing is a Yeah, well, you know, I, well, I don't go it. back and forth. Okay, I don't go back and forth. Uh, wait a minute, yeah, wait a minute. We're I'm, having I'm a gonna, conversation. It's not about going no, back and forth. No, I'm just saying that I, I'm going to end with I, I don't – I say what I, I – 
Santa, please, hold on, hold on, please, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Let's get another opinion. Let me let me play this short clip, give everybody a chance to drink a little bit of water or something, and then we'll come back at this. This is really good, by the way. Thank you. Hi, my name is Tanana Reeves. I am an author and screenwriter. I'm an executive producer on Shudder's Horror Noir, and I teach a black horror class at UCLA called The Funkin' Place, Racism, Survival, yep. and the Black Horror Aesthetic. Today, I'm going to give you an overview of the history of black horror films. So, my love for horror, like a lot of black women I know, started at a young age because my mother loved horror. My late mother was a civil rights activist. She was my first hero and, in fact, had a tear gas canister thrown in her face. So, she wore dark glasses the whole time I knew her as an adult. I mentioned that because my mother suffered trauma. I began to realize that my mother was using horror movies as a way to soothe her trauma and anger and fear out of not just the civil rights movement, but racial trauma in the United States. Something pretty extraordinary happened uh, in, in very recent years. Jordan Peele released his Oscar-winning um, screenplay, uh, but the film was called Get Out, which was a black horror story by a black creator, a black story told to a black lens, which was very different than the horror that I had been seeing up to that point. It's a really, really exciting time to be a horror creator and a horror fan. And I am personally seeing the impact of that. But it has been a long road to this point. This is not where we started. So I'd like to go back a little bit and talk about the history of black horror and film so we can all have a better idea of how significant it is that we are where we are today. So when we look at the history of black horror films and black men horror films, Dr. Robin Armin Coleman in her book, Horror Noir, does make a distinction between black horror, which is black created and black driven horror, and black in horror, which is non-black creators where often we are ill-used. Let's look at something that you might not even consider a horror film, The Birth of a Nation, C.W. Griffith's film, mm-hmm. which was the first Hollywood blockbuster it rained in movie theaters as, like, the top box office for all intents and purposes a generation. It was the most popular film in the country. And unfortunately, encoded in that film is some very toxic imagery and some very toxic propaganda propping up the Confederacy. And even worse than that, the Ku Klux Klan. So the remnants of the Confederacy, which are these mass Avengers, basically white dressed up in hoods. This was popularized, and I mean, the burning of the crosses and all of this became sort of a template for how domestic terrorism could look. But for moviegoers who were not black, this was not considered domestic terrorism. This was just justice. This was the natural order. So starting in 1915 with the birth of the nation, that would be blacks in horror. Although a lot of them weren't even black, it was just white actors in blackface. But that was showcasing black monstrosity. Um, they're going to rise up. They're going to steal your women. They're going to take your jobs or whatever. And we're still sort of under the cloud of that propaganda from 1915 today in many ways as we try to move away from this stereotype. So then jump ahead to the 1940s where finally filmmaker Spencer Williams wrote Son of Ngagi, the first black science fiction horror film which is black-driven, black characters, doctor, lawyer, wedding, all kinds of middle-class respectability to try to counteract all those stereotypes. 
you can contrast that to the movie that came out a year later, 1941, King of the Zombies, starring Mantan Moreland. This is comic horror. Mantan Moreland was very well known, terrific performer, but unfortunately spent a lot of his time having to make buggy eyes and please don't fail me now and the black, you know, has to be saved by the white man. No, I hate these commercials. I do not get paid for these commercials. So this is a battle. Two sides of the story of life and horror. Moving beyond the 40s, we disappeared a great deal in the 50s. By the time we get to the 60s, there's a breakout performance of Dwayne Jones in Night of the Living Dead. He won the role of the protagonist. Ben. Ben ends up in a in a room, basically with this, with this white woman, Barbara. It's I need to get you, Barbara. That line. So Ben ends up with Barbara. Barbara's in shock. At, at one point, she slaps him. He hits her back in 1968. And to have a black protagonist not only be alpha and in charge of all the stupid characters in the house, but killing all these white zombies, I'm thinking that that looks pretty disturbing to racist moviegoers in particular, whereas black moviegoers are like, what is going on here? Oh, my gosh. So exciting. The 1970s is the growth of the black exploitation era. This is when black filmmakers were having an opportunity to really tell their own version of a horror story. So instead of Dracula, you get Dracula. Uh, William Crane directed this. He's a very young director. He took it in a direction that the filmmakers, uh, the studio wasn't really comfortable with, adding African history, and he has his characters that their names are in Swahili, but the filmmaker was trying to elevate the material above what we had seen previously. So the 1970s saw the gamut of black horror from black creators, where in a film like Abby, it's a black woman who's possessed by sort of a sex demon, Again, not always the best messages, but at least was an opportunity for black filmmakers to show themselves in film and, and, and to move beyond the, the worst stereotypes that we had seen in previous eras. So the 1980s were the double-edged sword of representation. Like, yay, there's more of us in the film, but because the financing models had moved away from the black exploitation era where films were just going to show in black neighborhoods for black audiences, once you sort of globalize movie making, that's when you start to see those parts really shrinking for the black characters and becoming tropey. So your background characters, your sassy characters, right. you're going to die. If you're not dying first, you're definitely going to die second or third. You're certainly not going to make it until the end of the movie. And we start to see more of those stereotypes of the magical Negro, the sacrificial Negro, that's right. the spiritual guide emerging in the 80s. So the magical Negro is that character often characterizes other. Usually you're the only person of color in the movie, and you're the one with all the answers. You're the character the white characters go to for all their magical needs. The sacrificial Negro is that character who will throw him or herself in harm's way, literally jump in front of the monster to save the white characters. Some of the most obvious examples of those tropes showing up in films in the 80s are The Shining, Stanley Kubrick. Shining in 1980, where Dick Holliman, the character played by Scantman Crothers, who survives in Stephen King's novel, actually ends up getting an act of the chest the minute he walks through the door by Jack Nicholson. 
In the film version, classic Sacrificial Negro, the early 2000-2001 had an example of a magical Negro in the film Jeepers Creepers, where, again, a black woman is showing up pretty randomly to give advice and putting herself at risk to try to save the white characters and convince them that she knows about the creature that's stalking them. Luckily, she does survive. But she came this close to being a sacrificial Negro, too. The 90s were an amazing film renaissance all through film, including horror. So you had directors getting opportunities to tell their stories. Rusty Cundiff, Tales from the Hood, really stand out from 1995. Four short horror stories, a lot of them uh, revenge-oriented, a lot of them a plea for, sometimes a plea for the black community to do better within its homes or within its communities but also lots of payback for evil racist cops or for racist politicians. Beyond Tales from the Hood, there's also Casey Lemon's beautiful film, Eve Bayou, which is mostly a drama, but it has tinges of voodoo, and the horror is in the home. It's the story of young Eve and her coming of age and really loss of innocence as she begins to wonder if her philandering father, played by Samuel Jackson, might have had inappropriate contact with her sister. And she believes that she created a voodoo spell to kill him. Contrasting that would be the 1990s version of Candyman, which was not by a black filmmaker, although it didn't saw the iconic actor. Todd is Candyman, and I've talked to Tony Todd, and I know that that role was a sense of pride for a lot of young blacks, especially probably young black men who saw him as strong and powerful and in charge of his own destiny, but civil rights groups were not happy at the time of the idea of a black serial killer, basically, which is what Candyman was, especially, I think, because he was plaguing his own community, the Cabrini Green Project in she's Chicago. Not, she's so got her information mixed up. Story, you should hear this. She's got her information mixed up. Killed by racists because of his love for a white woman. When he comes back, he's attacking a black housing project. Candyman was considered problematic in its day, although it really does still stand out as one of the iconic horror films. We also started to see the emergence of black women in horror in bigger roles. Uh, Alien vs. Predator came out, and Sonar Lathan is a badass. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? In 2002, R&B star Aaliyah was in Queen of the Dam. And it's not a lead role, but a great role. So, nice representation. We're starting to see it just a little bit more, but it's also just sprinkled here and there. So, with this sort of hit and miss history, there wasn't really uh, a congealed idea of what black horror was going into the 2010s until Jordan Peele created Get Out, which has just opened the door and opened imagination so that people like me who create horror and people who are just fans of horror finally have an opportunity to just be like everybody else, whether it's about race or not about race. So Get Out, obviously, racism is the monster. Us, the follow-up to Get Out, not so much. It's more about class, although it is still revolutionary that Peele intentionally cast that movie with black actors. First of all, horror is like any other film genre in the sense that representation matters. 
all of film as a culture should look like our nation. This is kind of a no-brainer, but it's been a long journey. They can learn to empathize with us and yell and scream on our behalf. And that's in us and other marginalized groups and queer characters. There's room for everybody. I think as a culture, we all just need to learn how to see the humanity in each other. And I'm just really grateful that we've reached the time when we can show our more of our full measure of humanity on film. All this to say, uh, especially all of you creators out there, don't listen to the naysayers who tell you don't waste your time watching writing horror or writing science fiction. There has never been a better time to be a black horror creator, and I can't wait to see the stories you'll tell. Okay, y'all, something happened on Facebook. Um, I don't know what happened, but thank you, Maya, for sticking in there with me. Electro Vibes, thank you so much for staying in there. Um, I thought, you know, going into the show that that was very relevant to the topic. Uh She covered an array of um, areas that... um, Where's my uh, stream yard? She covered an array of areas that we've already talked about today, and I'm sure we'll continue. Um, Something's going on. The broadcast is, like, completely gone on stream yard. Oh, really? Yeah. I I don't know what happened. The whole thing got got dumped. So it's it's just the three of us. I don't know what happened. Okay. I, I really don't. Um, someone sent me a message in Facebook and said um, maybe the stream got reported or something, but it, it would have had to be. Well, you re- did have that moron come on. It could be you that did call. have that moron. Okay, we're back. Um, I don't know what's happening, but but I'm back in. So I don't know if, if you all contested for me and see if you all can get back into the stream yard or wherever you were viewing this from. Okay. Uh, that would be helpful to me, um, uh, Maya or, or Electrovine. I came through uh, I came through blog talk, so I'm I'm on the telephone. I'm on the cell phone. So you so you would okay, I was on YouTube. I was on YouTube and yeah, say this video has been removed for violating YouTube's terms of services. See, yeah, and this know. is interesting to me because this makes the second time I've come against this in the last week. Do you know? Did you know that uh, they decided to make uh, what is it the, the the Littlest Mermaid that they're going to be using a black, uh, a young black girl for the remake of that movie? Yeah. Well, well, we that. had we had a conference on that this past weekend, and. Uh, there was about 60 of us online, and all of our, uh, so much of our information was deleted or did not show up on live chat, and they eventually took the whole thing off. Um, so I guess I'm just throwing that out there when I say us getting our own narrative is going to require some work. And I hate oh, to be the conspiracy theorist because I'm very left-brained, and I tend not to really be a, con- a conspiracy theorist. But I've also mm-hmm. noticed, in relation to the the pumpkin in the White House, that there's been a mm-hmm. lot of 
appears maneuvering in social media. And I think yes. because he doesn't feel he, he has the, the liberty to sort of, you know, spread lies without them being checked um, in Twitter and Facebook, I've seen some repercussions, particularly in our community, just like these votes that he's challenging in our community where communications are being blocked, interfered with. You know, it's happening. happening. It's a a, a recurring thing right now. Everybody that I know who, like you said, subscribes to the truth, you know, call us whatever you want to call us, conspiracy people, whatever you want to call us, but Mm-hmm. A lot of their, a lot of their communications have been tampered with, have been mm-hmm. like anonymously, anonymously deleted, you know, things reported, and and a lot of you know stuff suspended. It's been going on for a while. It's a, I think it's for a, a while now. I've yeah. been yeah. sitting on the panel. I've been sitting on the panel of the horror film festival for the last two years. Okay, and it's going to be happening again in 2021 in L.A. Okay. Okay. And last year was the first time that I actually had to justify my presentation. Oh wow. Okay. On black script writers. Okay. So wow. um, uh, it's not, it's not a conspiracy theory, but I don't think it's all Trump either. I believe that after you get rid of Trump, you've got to take a look at who profits. Okay. It's, it's Hollywood who profits, and at the end of the day. They want to know how much is their take. Follow the money. It always leads to somewhere, you know, and it's definitely happening. Everywhere I look, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I know people will get suspended for, like, maybe two words that YouTube has has chosen, you know, or maybe one phrase, and all of a sudden their whole page is taken down. Like, wow. Who is familiar with the name of Lance Reddick? Who knows who Lance Reddick is? I don't. Okay. Me. Uh, Lance Reddick is the guy who played. Uh, 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 he played He's the uh, actor, right? the head on the movie in the TV show Fringe. The black guy. Okay. The t- the television show Fringe. Yes. Uh, he he played the he played the director. He played the black director. He also played a okay. voodoo priest on American Horror Story. Coven. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. He he'll never do it again. He's already he said that he will never do that again because he didn't want to get pigeonholed. Pigeon hold. Okay. You saw the television show Lost. Um, yeah. What was the black guy's name in Lost? Um, he played uh, Echo. He was a very Echo. He, the guy who played Echo in Lost was a very popular actor on the show, but he walked away from Lost, and he was making money. But he walked away from Lost because he felt that they were put, putting him into a hole. They were making him into this trickster type of character, and he did not want to play that character. The you Magic know, Negro. Basically, the, the Magic, magic Negro. Negro. Yes. Yeah. That's right. You know, and so you've got people like Lance Reddick. I mean, some good things are happening. I did not want to dismiss what the other woman said about uh, us always having to go up. Things are are definitely growing. There is positive stuff here. But we need to be aware that someone is always going to be wanting to make sure 
that what we say and do fits within their narrative. Well, yeah. And, I mean, that's power. You, know, you said earlier about racism being like racialism, and it's yes. like a struggle for, like, was it color? I would it's agree with a that struggle for color. Power. They don't have to. Yeah. I'll add power to that because it's ultimately power. Absolutely. Everything is power, you know. And they understand our natural power. That's why they're trying to keep us from this. Exactly why they're doing all this. You know, they understand the power of ATR and that once we harness in, mm-hmm. there's not much they can do to stop it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They know mm-hmm. that. That's why they're doing their, they're, they're doing their due diligence to keep us from getting to that level of understanding, you know, mm-hmm. on every level of the game. Because like I said, and organization. Yes, and, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. level of organization. Because as long as we're, you know, self-made witch, kitchen witch, I'm a little bit spiritual over here, I'm a little bit spiritual over there. There you go. Then organizing money, resources together, you know, to make much bigger uh, moves. Like any other, quote, unquote, organized religion, you know, in in America. So you hit that on the head. I agree with you. 100%. 100%. And so mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a force that keeps a certain amount of uh, foolishness, a certain amount of um, it's fun and game. It can only be entertainment. But the minute we roll into it's too real, it's too factual, mm-hmm. sort of how right. I opened up the show, you know, documentaries, fact-based, truth-based, those don't get quite the same attention. And, and and it's an unfortunate thing, but when we look at it through sort of a, a mirror, again, who, those who consume, we we again find this, you know, magical audience supporting yeah. these productions, but not as quickly supporting fact-based, documentary-based, historic-based mm-hmm. um, productions. Um, Chandra C., I believe it was, when she was with us, talked about um, emotional triggers. Was that Sandra? Okay, yeah. And I think emotional triggers, you know, having done my own, you know, healing, have a lot to do with our emotional connection to things. Uh, My sister Wapani um, prides herself as being a bit more Buddhist. And Buddhists believe that pain, challenges, discomfort, all are a result from ego, from Ooh, ego. Okay, okay. okay. And Absolutely. that once we okay. ego and our connection to people, places, and things, then we lose that pain, that trauma trigger. Um, and, and when I first heard that, it made no sense. I, I was 20-something. I was in the depths of my own pain. I, I just couldn't gather that. But as I grew older and matured spiritually and spent more time uh, in meditation, in thinking, in creative meditation, we think of meditation, we think of just breathing and sitting in silence and not focusing. But, but I'm talking about where you go back to the event, where you go back to childhood, where you try and envision slavery, where you try and envision, mm-hmm. you know, yourself, you know, in a particular scenario and then work through that in the safety of the spirit realm. 
um, I then begin to understand that connection with ego and our connection to, to things. Um, so for Shadow me, work. yeah. So for me, I don't get the trigger when I see the slave movie. I, I am very sensitive to the details, to the facts, to how the story is being told, particularly you know from a creative, cinematic, you know perspective. But I, I personally don't sort of have that those emotional triggers. Not in that mm-hmm. way. Uh, the last I'll movie that. I'll give you a good example. Or emotional with cry freedom. Yes, sir. I'll give you a good example. The character, um, you're familiar with the show The Wire, right? Y'all both familiar with The Wire? Yeah. Omar from The Wire, Michael K. Williams. He was in, um, I think, 12 Years a Slave. And there was a part where, because he talks about it in an interview where it got too real when it got on set. And they were getting ready to start shooting. He said he just started feeling these emotions and more emotions. His energy kept coming to him to where he, like, almost blacked out. They had to carry him back to the trailer to get him together again mm-hmm. because he felt that energy. You know what I mean? Those triggers. And like you said, I agree. That's a layer that you need to that you need to heal if it, if it still gets to like that. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I'll tell you the truth. I mean, it's people like us, those of us who are on the phone right now, we're able, at least I get the sense that we are able to look at the film for what it is and comment on it. Not necessarily the emotion. Okay. I can look, I saw roots like everybody else did. Okay. Uh, I love John Amos. I loved LeVar. I love Lou Gossett Jr. Okay. But (laughs) I don't have to keep watching that movie to be, I don't watch that movie. I saw it the first time for its historical effect. I watched it three times afterwards. It wasn't for the history. It was for the acting. I wanted to know if, I wanted to see if the writing was real. I wanted to see if the narrative was true. That's what we have to become in order to work in Hollywood. We've got to be able to separate ourselves from the emotional part because otherwise, we can't argue for what we really you want. So right. You are so right with that one. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree, agree with, with that. that. Now, that, that goes back to what Electra Vibe said about shadow work and, and our, our ability and our willingness first as individuals. Because when we think about, you know, the scenario about the performer, I've been in that scenario. Um, I, I would play the role in uh, the modern adaptation of Roots for TV. Um, I also okay. was a slave in Underground. Um, mm-hmm. There's another uh, powerful poet, um, Dred Scott, who came to Louisiana last year, and we actually reenacted uh, the biggest slave revolt in, in Louisiana, um, you know, carrying weapons and machetes in the whole nine. So okay. as a performer... As a performer, as Sister just said, as Maya just said, you know, you're hired as business. You come to it as business. You're, you're an actor. You're a performer. They don't take no time to say, you know, this is going to be some really deep emotional material. You know, you might mm-hmm. want to think about this. Now, I come to it that way. If either of you were, you know, coming into a production, I'm sure you would think about that. Because we, you know, we, we're at a conscious level 
of understanding. But um, that that's not normally a part of the process. I also want to not for us it isn't. Yeah, I also want to speak to and agree with Maya said in terms of that ability to come to business and separate emotions because that goes beyond just cinema and performance and cultural performance. I mean, that's in running a Mm -hmm. church, running a store, run you know. Yes. Black people, you know, in general, and, and, and I would say humanity in general. You know, there used to be an old saying, you can't mix friends and business. You can't mix family right. and business. How, how many yeah. times in our community have we heard that? Yet we You've see that? in our community, we see Latino and Hispanic and Asian and, and Jamaican and, and, and coming together you know, within their community, putting their resources together, sometimes sharing a space, you know, in order to create something bigger. And and, and what is it about PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder, that makes that mm. such a big hurdle for us when it comes to business, job, working for somebody or working with somebody, and, and then the conflicts That's that true. arrive. One of my favorite mm-hmm, reality mm-hmm. TV shows right now, if I'm going to admit this live on air, is uh, Black Uh-oh. Ink. I really like Black Ink. I don't care if it's uh, okay. New York. I, I like all the versions. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I like the combination of reality, but also seeing black people, young black people, getting involved in business, having to make business decisions, you know, and even when they collide at the crossroads with, you know, reality and, and that hood thing sort of slips in, you know, it forces them to have to rethink, you know, and, and I just enjoy being able to see that played out, you know, in a reality show in that way. The other reality shows, in my opinion, don't quite bring that. You know, we, we get the cattiness and the back and forth, but we don't see, you know, how they're making their money how they're treating right. their, their customers, you know, how they're dealing with, you know, business weather, because we all deal with weather. If, if you're in business, something is going to happen that, that we have mm-hmm. to, you know, deal with. And so that's one of my favorite reality shows. And so you, you're right, um, Maya and um, Electro Vibe. If we don't do that shadow work first on a, on a personal level, where everything right. is right. Where everything black isn't a trigger, everything white isn't a trigger, everything political isn't a trigger. And I understand, at least for the last four years, it's been very difficult because it's being, you know, crammed down our throats, you know, from the White House on down, in the media on down. This Mm -hmm. this sort of immature, spiritually undeveloped behavior. And I never thought we were going to end up talking about politics, but symbolically. Isn't that Hollywood for you, though? One of the things that stands out for me symbolically is that whole thing where the protests were going on, and he came out with that crusty Bible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so that he can make that, that, that little witchcraft ceremony thing he did. I, I don't know what that was really about, but it stood out for me more than anything that he's done. 
you know, in the last that was four years. One thing. <laughs> as a voodoo priest, as a spiritualist, that really stood out for me. Because and, and, and it says that this whole idea of one nation under God, this whole idea that this is a Christian nation, that somehow this nation was born on, you know, Christian values and ideas, which is not entirely true, by the way. Um, and oh, and yeah. I'm not, sure. yeah, not going to digress yeah. and go into that story because you're already right. Um, right. But just the idea that we still say that, and particularly us as this, black folks, <laughs> you know, yeah. that we really yeah. still rest in that, you know, Christian church. It's God. It's Jesus. Right. And they continue to show this demonic, satanic demonstration. And so this is indeed spiritual warfare, indeed. And what's oh, yeah. more powerful than music, than rhythm? You know, in, in in motivating our young people to learn and motivating our young people to yeah. absorb things which and is, take things into their spirit than movies. Which is which is why they took away a lot of uh, high school marching bands for a while too. Thank you. All over Thank the you. Place. They took away a lot That's of right. marching bands, music, all that stuff that we could connect to our ancestors with. They took all that out the picture. So, you know what I mean? Again, coming back to that effort thing of making sure you will not connect to that to that power. I'll take it one step further for you. you, you okay? And I, like I said, I've been around here for I've been around for a while. When I was in junior high school, okay, we not only did uh, Shakespeare and poetry, we did everyone. Uh, we did black literature. We did black poets. Okay, we when by the time we got out of junior high school, we were as educated about black. Uh, Americana or black literature as we were about white literature. That changed. That shifted by the end of the 70s. All of a sudden, music programs were being removed. All of a sudden, uh, people were coming in and saying, you don't need that course. Okay? We have always been put in a position where they give us and they take us away. And I was in, I was a kid that came along in the 80s in elementary that had to deal with those um, mm-hmm. structural changes within, you know, schools. Um, mm-hmm. And me being like who I am, like I was, man, he's talking about boundaries and obstacles. Being, I was like always like, you know, what they say, gifted and talented. They would always try to put up barriers to keep me out of certain things, but I would figure my way around it, you know. And because like you mm-hmm. said, they give it, they take it away. But you mm-hmm. still got to have the ability to function regardless of whatever it is that they do to you. You got to keep pushing. And there you go. coming back to what, to what you said, Divine Prince, when, when we able to separate those emotions and all that, get our feelings out of the way, powerful force. We can be a powerful yeah. force. I agree. Yeah. And, and that mm-hmm. translates into everything that we do. No matter where you are in the system, no matter what your job is, you know, the, that would be that fundamental change that, that would permeate the community where we see, you know, communities move, evolve. Um, and, and we, are, you know, since the inception, have, have sought it through religion. And I don't want to discount our history by discounting the power of the black church and the role um, that it has performed 
you know, in our community, you know, over the years. That part, that is positive, okay? But at the same mm-hmm. time, as we move away from that now, and we are seeking something, looking for something, desiring something, I, I always believe, for lack of better words, um, I hate to use the word salvation. If I come up with a better word, I will. But but I, <laughs> salvation is in ATR. It, it really is. Um, yes. For us, mm-hmm. not just switching to another or a new religion, but absolutely mm-hmm. applying, you know, Ori, Live Tet, all, all the notions within ATR that address consciousness, that address healing, that address how mm-hmm. we think and how we apply energy. Um, everything is not an attack, everything is not personal. I think in some ways, uh, as African-Americans, um, we sort of live in, in a tunnel, you know, and all we see sometimes is black and white and slavery. And so, again, that keeps those triggers yeah. sort of open in, in, in a raw way. And so, for me, uh, going international, communicating international, making a decision a conscious decision to communicate every day. I use Skype. I use Facebook. I, I use WhatsApp. I communicate every day with somebody, often several people, in other countries. Mm-hmm. Ghana, okay. Nigeria, okay. Jamaica, Brazil. You know, I go into countries where I don't speak the language. I use Google Translate. <laughs> you know, and, and as long as <laughs> I like it, I like it. Okay. you I know, like elementary it. school you know, level of their language, then we can communicate. And I ask mm-hmm. them, you know, what do you know about slavery? What what do they teach you where you live about the Middle Passage? You know, how do you live? Um, and, you know, they have so, you know, mobile devices and, and whatnot. I've had friends in Nigeria who leave their house and walk through their neighborhood and go to the store, and I really get to see where they live, how they live, you know, what yeah. what is like, you know, where they are. And it's shocking to me. Um, I've got good friends, I mean, like 15 years or more in Ghana, for instance, that are market vendors. So they get up every day and go into the market and they sell, you know, everything from beads and African art to jewelry and, and clothing. And so I get to see a great deal of their life and the life of their community. And you don't necessarily see a whole lot of ATR. You don't necessarily see a whole lot of traditional African spirit practice right out on the surface. Um, it doesn't right. mean that it's right. not there, but it has been so polluted um, and diluted and, 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 and dominated by Islam and Christianity that you don't see it any more there than you do here. And sometimes they look at us and they find it almost funny, almost like a caricature of something. Mm-hmm. That, you know, yeah. think of it as if you were 15. So, so for them, it's like, oh, wow, you know, that's really old-fashioned. That's really right. outdated. You know, the, what are they mm-hmm. doing? Where, you know, because they're more interested in cars, clothes, jewelry, you know, what they see the hip-hop right. artists have, you know, what they see, you know, Babylon producing. 
So there's a real conflict there for us as we desire more ATR, and they're in a struggle just to, to have ATR survive in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, okay. They're dealing with mm-hmm. Islam mm-hmm. and 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 killing and and really crazy, you know, third world like stuff that we take for granted here. We take for granted right. that we can braid our hair and go to work. We take for granted that we can wear African clothes, you know, and, and, and sort of do our demonstration here in a way that even in Uganda, they could get you killed, <laughs> you know. That's right. You yeah. Yeah. Enough, oh, yeah. You're not Muslim enough. So I think we take that for granted. And, and the more we expose ourselves to the roots of these traditions by exposing ourselves to the people connected to these traditions, I think it breaks down the walls of ignorance while at the same time building new inroads of, of unity and, 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 and coming together and, and, and understanding. I, I never believed the stereotype that Africans and African Americans couldn't connect or couldn't get along or had some kind of beef. I I, I have run into ignorance. Right. Not right. That's what everybody. Yeah, not necessarily negative, but just what they didn't know, what they don't understand, you know. And I just keep working at it. Uh, I think now maybe a quarter, if not more, of my Facebook friends all live in in Africa. And, and, and see now again being being here in DC, not to cut you off, but I want to make sure I piggyback on what she's saying on how a lot of times they get a misconception of what it is when it's really not that. When you meet those people, you know, when you meet when you meet a, a person from the diaspora like that, being mm-hmm. you know, I'm in the DC area, I'm in the DMV, so we get people from everywhere oh, yeah. in this area, and mm-hmm. you know, I teach teach school, so I have parents that are from different parts of Africa, and the majority of them are all pretty much the same. Of they respect you because they know that you're that you're working hard and you're about education, and you're you're a positive asset. You know what I mean? Now I don't know how they treat the ones who aren't positive assets per se. You know what I mean? But I know when I come across them, I ain't have really too many issues. I've had a few, but not many. Where I've had to tell them like, wait, 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 hold on, time out. We don't talk like that here. Hold up, but. <laughs> Not too many times have I had to really check somebody like that, you know. So I agree. We can work together and collaborate. I agree. We have to. We have no. I mean, we either we either we learn how to work together as an independent unit, okay, or else we're going to be having the same conversation every four years, okay. I mean, Obama wasn't out of office. 20 minutes before Netflix scooped him up. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, that's how come I said, yes, dude, it's great to be creative, but the reality is it's a, it's it's not about black, it's not about white, it's about green. Okay? Right. That's where that's how Hollywood operates. It's about the green. Okay? How do we keep our souls while giving them what they need in order for us to prosper. That's because the million dollar question. How do we continue yeah, to exist in this world? 
uh, under a system of global capitalism, you know, and, okay. and still yeah. meet our needs and, and still be able to pay our, our land taxes and, and, and water and whatnot. The, I mean, that is really at the heart of, you know, sort of this struggle against white supremacy, global mm-hmm. imperialism. Um, you know, we're not trading coffee shells anymore. You know, we, we can't pay our bills, you know, with, with fruit, not, at least not in America, you know. Yeah. And so how do we continue to develop projects that mirror our image, that put forward our our motivations and our dreams and our desires and get the funding to, to do so w- without having mm-hmm. to, you know, submit or, or surrender all the time to some great power? Well, I would say uh, definitely starts with a, um, we mentioned this months ago when we said like a beehive mentality to where you connect with like-minded people and you all have your different strengths and attributes and you find those people because it's, Believe it or not, like, again, I meet a lot of different types of people, and I meet people who have that kind of capital, who do understand what we're talking about, and they're looking for people like us with the knowledge, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, to be, able to, to be able to disseminate it to other people. So we have to find those people, and when we do find them, you know, do what we're supposed to do with them. And, and we have to make it okay for them to want to do it because of the money. See, I think that also gets us messed up. We feel as if yeah. not only do they have to give us what we want, but they have to believe in what we do. They've got to walk in our shoes. They've got to know what it's like to be black in America. I don't need you to know me. Eric, four four zero. Did you have a question or a comment? Uh, yes. Hi. Uh, I was just you know, listening, you know, to the pro- uh, the program. Um, and I'm I'm <laughs> uh, I find it very you know useful and I mean I'm a nod in my head to, to most of it I didn't I wasn't listening at the t- you know top of the show, um, but uh, um, you know thank you uh, for and I'll just continue to listen. <laughs> well, thank you. We certainly appreciate you. Um, we had a long. Uh, we had a great broadcast going on, uh, both visually and audibly, uh, by way of StreamYard. Yeah. And someone uh, reported the show. I got a strike on YouTube. Um, no I, way! I, 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 I knew it. Man. I can't do any, I can't do anything for a week on YouTube. So I can't upload. I can't live stream. I can't post for a week. I did appeal the action. And ask that they, you know, human, go in and look at it and tell me exactly what's going on. It, it suggests that I use the Atlas of Cursed Places content in the show. And that's not true. I didn't show any of the trailers. I talked about the show. The, the, the name Atlas of Cursed Places is the name of the TV series that will premiere today on on Nat Geo and and again I invite you all to watch the show 
uh, with oh, Sam. It's going to be very good. I mean, they're going to talk about everything from vampires to the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, it's going to be really, really good. Um, so my episode won't air tonight, but, but it'll be, you know, within the, the series of this show. So that's why I named the show Atlas of Curse Places. I advertised for the show in the body of the text with the show, but that's it. I didn't show yeah, any you didn't have any, any visual things, did you? Nothing. Nothing. You know what? That so, doesn't even matter, and I'll tell you why it does not matter. The reality is whatever we did here, or whatever you initiated here, okay, was briefly interrupted by somebody calling in and showing his color. Okay. So the question now is, will YouTube recognize that, or will they maintain what they're doing right now? Speaks to the power of what we have when we get together in a unified way, doesn't it? Speaks to the power. Man, let you me know? say, okay. this is a good show. This was a good show. I was looking at the numbers of people who were watching the show live, who were watching the show from, from the various social media outlets. This was a really popular show. I had people in the in the audience today who never listened to the show. And and I've never had an interruption. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I've never had a little Jen show up like that in the middle of my show before. Mm-hmm. That was unique. I've been doing blog talk radio for, um, I think, a dozen years. I've never had that happen. So that was that was. Well, I will apologize for if I, I I apologize if I monopolized or brought in more than what was ready. But it just you, what you the, your topic was right on time, okay? And 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 that's what you need to hear. You need to hear your topic was right on time. I went on Netflix. I went on Hulu. I went on Vudu. And I only discovered this in the last two weeks, that whereas they were calling Asian American films, Hispanic Latino films, all we were called were black voices, black stories. I'm like, this is offensive. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm grateful for Blog Talk Radio because – whether they let that that video come back or not, we got it all on tape. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this Blog Talk Radio show um, will go into archive. Um, I'm already in the process of downloading it right uh, now. Mm-hmm. So even if they come back for it, I've already got it. And I'll yep, absolutely um, re-upload it again <laughs> somewhere else a little bit later. <laughs> Yeah, I just wish I could um, somehow could have videotaped it, you know, got an MP4 while the live. I know I'm talking about technology that might not exist. Oh, no, yet. I'm wishing. I'm wishing. I'm wishing I wish there you know, mm-hmm. we have to use technology a lot. Yeah, I wish there was a way I could do that so I always have that visual backup. But I'm going to go ahead and end the show. It's been a great two hours. I thank all my callers and, and, and of course, Maya and Electro Vibes and um, Sandra C um, and Neophyte Bocor and um, the Goddess Initiative and all the people that were in the chat who, who might be. I appreciate you. And I'll be back in a week. <laughs> okay. They're not going to let me do anything uh, for a week. So I'll be back. All is a blessing. 
Can I add one more thing real quick? Can I add one more thing? Yeah, both of you can. Go over to everyone who's got, who can hear, go over to YouTube, all right, and pull up Chad Boswick, okay, the Panther, Black Panther. He talks about how when he first came into Hollywood and was doing his thing after leaving Howard, he uh, was offered a TV show. It was only supposed to be two episodes. They loved what he was doing so much that they wanted to give him a regular role, okay? And he was playing basically a black man who was having a lot of problems and drugs and et cetera, et cetera. Well, he was called into a meeting, and, of course, it was two white guys, one with a ponytail, and the guy said, we really like the work you do. We want you to stick around. What do you think about that? Well, Chad, if you watched him do the Black Panther and how he talked outside of the film, he told them point blank, there is more to this man than being a drug addict. There is more to this man than being uh, the, the sole child of a, a broken family. He went into great detail explaining to these two guys how important and the relevance of this character. They sat and they listened to him and they nodded. Chad Chad Boswick said he could tell from looking in their face that he had already lost them. All right. So after he told them that story, he shook his head and said, shook his hand and said, thank you very much. We are so glad you came here. He, by the time he got home, he found out he didn't have that job anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's on YouTube. In the industry, in, in social media, because let's be honest, social media is the world. WWW, World Wide Web. So you find many people, mm-hmm. actors, performers, directors, creators, who are almost anonymous on Twitter, who have the most generic profiles. You know, it's a picture mm-hmm. of a cat, yes. you know, and in a few <laughs> basic words, they rarely share their opinion. You know, they, they mm-hmm. rarely speak out. It's almost like an, uh, you know, authoritarian state, if you will. Mm-hmm. Out of fear that I might say something, post something that could block my next gig. Because we we don't have a boss, and we have to be rehired every project we work on. So so you're always mm-hmm. looking for the next project, the next check, mm-hmm. the next opportunity. You know, so, so again, if we've got to find ways to do the shadow work, to heal, to get beyond our emotions, to, to understand the business that's now deeply connected to spirituality mm-hmm. and religion, mm-hmm. particularly ATR, and how that that's, is that's showing up. Absolutely. We've got to get clear about that's that or if we're ever going to gain any kind of autonomy, any kind of sense of, of independence within the system, this global system as, as it's set up now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to piggyback off, you know, to basically off of what both of you said, go do your research to get your shadow work done so you can see things, view things from an objective point of view to where, I mean, what is subjective when you're outside of the box, when you see the whole picture, not the emotions of it, not the feelings of it, but just what it is. We got to get to that level. So I would say anybody mm-hmm. listening, do your research. If it's if mm-hmm. the internet is limitless, believe me, trust me, you can find it. 
Whatever it is you want to find, you can find it. Do that. That's all I can say. And thank, thank y'all for listening. <laughs> hey, this has been well, great. Thank, thank you. Thank you for that. We're going to end on that. All of the blessings. Peace. All right. Dash of cayenne to the root Gonna put on my Greek grease suit Boil a gumbo Hot and steady Don't care if Freddy ready Gonna pray at that old cemetery Down on Claiborne where she's buried Build a fire on the bayou When a black cat scratched at two Under a full moon that's blue Chant the magic words, Kufaru A dash of cayenne to the rule Gonna put on my Greek grease suit Black top hat, black suit too Single ride that molds this through I'm gonna get them bones out the graveyard for you Can't see my eyes, black shades too A dash of cayenne to the roof Gonna put on my green grease suit Black top hat, black suit too Same old ride that Moses threw I'm gonna get them bones out the graveyard for you Can't see my eyes, black shades too Going free at the old cemetery Down on Claiborne where she's buried A dash of cayenne to the roof Gonna put on my Greek grease Yeah Black top hat Black suit too Same old ride that Moses through. I'm gonna get them balls out the graveyards for you Can't see my eyes, black sheets too Gonna pray at that old cemetery Down on Claiborne where she's buried A dash of cayenne to the room Gonna put on my grease suit
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.